Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Humanity First. Today, we are talking youth, um, and in the office today is Daryl Huggins, who is our director of the Young Adult Access Center, which is currently known as YAC. So hopefully we'll be changing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's one of the first things on the priority list. <laughs> Welcome, Daryl. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for coming to Bamsey. You have been with us about a couple of months now, is that right? One month, Just to be exact, month. but it's, it's felt like a while, honestly. <laughs> well, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, <laughs> but we're glad that you're here. Um, and you are heading up one of our newer programs um, yes. here at Bamsey, and uh, anybody who uh, knows anything about BAMSI is that we have around about 110 different programs and uh, adding this new program is uh, is another step in the direction of fulfilling out our continuum of care mm-hmm. and the service system that we have. Um, so we're really excited about this. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about this, uh, Daryl. I remember we were going for a number of different contracts. Um, I'm, I guess it would be six months or so ago now, a bit mm-hmm. longer. And uh, and this one came up uh, and hit the street, and we had a little meeting with uh, all of your colleagues from Behavioral Health and Children's Services, and there was this incredible energy in the room, this incredible excitement about this is something that we were born for here at BAMSI, yep. just in terms of the long history of providing services, uh, behavioral health services for kids and for adults at the moment. So this notion of straddling that uh, uh, those divides is something that we've been really interested in for a long time. So welcome. Uh, and as one of the newer members of the of the BAMSI community, tell us a bit about yourself. How did, how, how did you end up at BAMSI? Absolutely. Um, and thank you for having having me i've named daryl huggins i grew up in boston massachusetts born and raised my entire life um what brought me here to bamsey is me actually relocating to brockton um i've been in the behavioral health field for about 10 years or so now i'm working primarily at one organization children's services of roxbury um in boston where i've had the opportunity to be in multiple different positions um to just kind of really get a, a real in-depth look at how organizations run and operated, as well as the um, service delivery and being able to see those intricate details actually working in the field and working with families. Um, so I feel like it's given me a broad view of both sides of the field, both what's needed for an organization as well as what's needed for our families. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot. Of, I, I met you last week and we had a conversation mm-hmm. about um, Children's Service of Roxbury, which is one of the, I mean, the history behind that agency is just remarkable. And uh, I've known quite a few people that have worked there. And similar agency in a way, because mm-hmm. what we're dealing with uh, is a community of need uh, and a community where these services are really important. Um, I've always believed that there's an element of social justice in the way that we provide our services in an organization like a multi-service center here at BAMSI. You must have seen that um, along the way, right? Yeah, I mean, when when we begin to engage with youth, and Mm -hmm. and I think it would be great to just sort of describe the program a little bit. Well, why don't we do that? (laughs) You know, we have – this is – I think one of the first uh, attempts by the state to roll out a program which is um, which is uh, attempting to connect with, mm-hmm. with, with young adults. Tell us a little bit about the concept and the philosophy of the program. Absolutely. Well, the Young Adult Access Center, the idea around it really came out of necessity, I think, out of looking at the way services have traditionally been provided for young adults um, as they're aging out of that younger Um, service provision into adulthood and what's oftentimes lost in that transition. 
And the Young Adult Access Center, the idea around it is being able to have a very low barrier site and center for young adults to come into, whether they have a history of mental health services or not. Um, But if they're coming in and their need is housing or um, food insecurities or unemployment issues, we would provide those type of resources and supports to guide them in the right direction. So we do a lot of in-house things as well, but... The real big part of that is connecting them with their surrounding community and getting them in the resources that will support whatever their need is. How many staff do you have? At the moment, it's uh, myself and three staff. So we have a transition indicator who supports youth with their transition plans. We have a young adult peer mentor. We have two young adult peer mentors as well. Yeah. And, and we're still looking for um, about two more to fill in as well as a clinician that will provide some supervisory support. Okay. So um, I think probably anybody who's listening to this is, is sort of wondering, what does a typical day like <laughs> look like for somebody who is working with this population? Can we, can we talk about that a little bit? Well, I would think the first thing to say is that no day is necessarily typical. Like, I think <laughs> with this population, the expectation is that every day might look very different and going in with the mindset of just that. So obviously you might have a set plan and agenda for – what you might intend on doing that day, but being open and understanding that, that might have to pivot depending on what the young adults might come in with. Um, I think being a very youth-centered focused program, uh, they are our priority. So even if we have something that's on the plan or on the agenda, if enough youth come in with a concern or a need that we feel like deserves our attention at the moment, I think that would take precedence for what's happening at the center that day. And I think that's what's unique about the program is because their needs and their priorities are at the forefront of what it is that we're doing. You know, I, I get really excited about that because when I think about um, the history of mental health provision, especially in the state of Massachusetts, I go back to the early 90s where, you know, there was this idea of uh, matching Medicaid dollars from, from the feds. So we had to build these medical model programs. Yes. Um, which are not always what youth want. They they don't always want a fifty minute hour of yeah. of therapy. Maybe they need it for a certain length of time. But the the ability to build what is needed for mm-hmm. the individual is so exciting. I think the other thing that really excites me is that the Department of Mental Health and um, I will say that I used to work for the Department of Mental Health. And it's a great organization, Absolutely. but it but sometimes it's pretty rigid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, ordinarily you are told we are going to send you these referrals, and these are people that have met criteria and eligibility for our level of service. Which, by the way, is the same in most states. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we have a low barrier um, program. Which, beget, which sort of peels all of those difficulties away. Yes, absolutely. And says something like, you know what, we're going to meet you where we are. We're going to listen to what you see as the issue is, and then we're going to start from there. And that really is, that seems to be, to me anyway, like modern day behavioral health intervention. Absolutely. I think that's the direction that behavioral health is going in. I'm really looking at the consumer and designing services around them, designing around their culture, designing around where they are developmentally. I mean, I think one of the most important things when doing youth-centered services and making sure that you're keeping in mind where they are developmentally and being realistic about how your program is designed and what the expectations are of those young adults. Because if not, you could be just setting them up for failure, right? Mm -hmm. So I think with a model like this, um, the Department of Mental Health has recognized that traditional services have been too rigid as far as requirements and youth having to have a diagnosis to these services. I mean, 
not every youth that has a diagnosis needs support, right? And not every youth that is out currently receiving services is getting what they necessarily need. So this is one step, I think, in the right direction, and it is a shift in how we are seeing behavioral health services just move into the future. Yeah, you know, when you think about it, the the manifestation of that medical model oftentimes is that you don't get paid. This is in the old days. Mm-hmm. As a fee-for-service clinician, I remember, uh, you don't get paid unless you diagnose a yes. kid. And how long does that diagnosis stay with a kid? And what's the labeling that happens with that? So, you know, that idea of getting away from the – we'll never get away from the DSM. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that <laughs> at all. But being able to be flexible about that and meet those people's needs. Um Another thing I think that we're moving towards is this sort of a positive regard for the individual, not defining the individual through the uh, diagnosis or the issue that they Absolutely. come to, very strength-based. Um, tell us about some of the uh, strengths that you see in these young people coming into the program. And, you know, do you see them as these sort of vessels that are waiting for um, uh you know, for help in a direction that they want to take. Absolutely. I think one of the things that excites me about this type of work and keeps me in it is just that the level of resiliency I think I see in the young adults. Um, Just by even making that first step of coming through our doors and being open to, you know, speaking with someone I think is courageous enough to earn and honor our respect. So that's, that's, I think I I just see it every day. And the things that they go through on a day-to-day basis, um, it blows my mind. You know, even just today, just thinking about there was a shooting at a high school down in Boston. Mm -hmm. And I I work with a program that provides services there and just checking in on the school and how the climate and the culture is for those young adults and how heavy that can be for them as students. Um, But yet they still continue to persist and return to school and still try to, you know, keep their spirits high. And I think that resiliency is one of the things that I just... I, I really just honor about our young adults. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, you know, when you think about all of the um, all of the obstructions, I, I guess Absolutely. you know when you know when we talk about normal child development, I don't know what normal is, but you know, I, re- I remember reading a book called Good Enough Parenting by Winnicott uh, that was written actually back in the '60s, and it said, look, there's a broad continuum of acceptable parenting that will get your child to where they need to be. Many of the kids that you see, I mm-hmm. would think have not uh, had the benefit of that privilege, is which, which I would call it. Uh, and so it's sort of repairing a lot of those trust issues, yes. those attachment issues, those issues of, you know, um, you're a person in society that is vulnerable. Um, and that's when you begin to realize that resilience is like, I often think, I don't know if you've ever thought this, like, but people say, what is it that gets somebody through the mm-hmm. difficult journey? And it, it, it begins with resilience, right? Absolutely. Uh, and if you could bottle that, and of course, you can't <laughs> bottle it. And, you know, you can argue about nature nurture here. But, you know, it, it really is tested with some of these young people. Absolutely. Um, and and what, are they, what are they looking for when they, when they come through the door? Um, oftentimes, they don't even know. Yeah. And I think that's part of our job as far as figuring that out. I think they know that something is missing or something in their life is not right. Obviously, there might be some concrete things that they come through for. Um, like I said, if they are dealing with homelessness and they're currently um, couch surfing and just need some type of stability, they can come in there. We can provide those resources. We also have a shower and washer dryer. So if they want to come in and just, you know, 
wash themselves and their clothes for the day as they are working on their housing, they can do that as well. We plan on having computers there so that if they need to work on resumes or job searches, that's something else that they can do there also. But I want to go back to something that you were saying earlier about the, the nurturing piece because I think that is what so many of these young adults are, are missing. Um, for myself personally, I, I grew up, I was, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a two-family household with a lot of love and nurturing. So at a young age, I immediately recognized how a lot of my friends lacked that. And I think that that developed a sense of empathy in me from a young age to say, you know, I need to help and give back. But for those young adults who have missed that and did not get that love and nurture from whatever type of household they grew up in, it affects their abilities to be successful in the regular world. It's, it affects their ways that they trust adults and their ability to think that people, you know, aren't just going to run out of my life like my parents might have. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of our job as well is starting to rebuild that sense of trust that they can have in adults and in systems as well. I mean, traditionally, a lot of systems have caused harm to young adults or trauma that has caused them to not necessarily trust it completely. So I think by having this low barrier system that's run by the young peer mentors, which is a big part of it, also shows them people that are similar in age, similar in life experiences, that I can trust this organization and this program. Yeah, you know, when you were talking, you reminded me of somebody I used to work with. I used to work for the Humble Little Wanderers, and on the board was a guy called Steve Pemberton. And Steve is an interesting um, uh, is an interesting example in resilience. So he was from Fall River and uh, placed in foster care as a young child, and horribly abused in fo- in foster care, and mm. would have to sit outside of the house for years for hours and hours waiting for the foster parents to come down this one day he was sitting on the wall and a woman from across the road had seen him sitting on the on the uh, on the wall and said oh you know what are you doing little guy and you know he said oh, i'm just waiting for foster parents and the next day she bought a book mm. and said do you like to read and he goes, i don't really have any books and she she would bring him a book every week and steve would like you know sort of graciously t- uh, read wow. these books um and the book that he wrote was called Chance in the World. And the reason it's called that is because his DCF worker had written in his notes that he got back years and years later, this child does not stand a chance wow. in the world. Uh, and it's the story of how that individual began to have an effect on him. And, and he always says, never underestimate the effect positive or negative that you can have on a child and that's that hope isn't it that's Absolutely. that optimism that these kids might have this long and difficult road mm-hmm. that they've been down but the chance of that turning to the positive can be affected by whatever work that you're doing which is amazing absolutely and that relationship i mean it's, it's that positive self-regard that develops in that young adult right and when they get that and they start to develop that it completely changed their trajectory in life they start to see a sense of value in themselves and a sense of self-worth and i think when you see yourself in that and you can see a future for yourself it directly affects your decision making now right when we look at our young adults and we question their decision making and why would they make such dumb decisions as we might say you have to consider where they are developmentally and what level of positive self-regard they may or may not have if they don't see any value in themselves and can't see past today then of course their decision making is going to reflect that yeah, yeah so you know we have the ability to start to um instill some of those things that might have been missing 
or if not, set them up with the right resources that can do that. Yeah, that's such a good point about uh, developmental process, you know, the sort of frontal lobe development Absolutely. issue. I always remember um, T. Barry Brazelton, who was a, an amazing human being who sort of wrote the book on child development, sort of said, you know, if you're going to ground your child, don't ground them for a week because they have a frame of reference of 24 hours. A week is for life. <laughs> and absolutely. It's absolutely it's true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and uh, you know, that developmental process is important, but also are the experiences that we gather all the way along. Because sometimes I think the reason I don't make bad decisions anymore is because I've learned from them. And, of course, when you're an adolescent, you've, you, you haven't got that frame of reference and – you know, you haven't learned from those Absolutely. things. So coming from a place of strength and support, the dignity of risk, if you like, Absolutely. that people can fail, and yet this program will be there to pick them up and, and help them on their way again. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we, we think about in you know, some of the early uh, client-led programs like the clubhouses, for instance, which go back a long way, you mm-hmm. know, to the International Clubhouse um, Federation, is about giving people control in whatever they're doing is there an aspect to that here in the in yak in terms of allowing the people who are using the service to drive the service absolutely so one core component of the um, program and the service delivery is we have a young adult leadership council so that young adult leadership council is at the core of a lot of the program decision making Um, It's comprised of young adults that frequently visit the center and want to be a part of, you know, what types of activities we do, what types of furniture we buy, even down to the name of the center. When we do come up with renaming it, it will be the young adults who are part of that decision making. So um, I think even just in that practice, it really instills a sense of worth in those young adults that are part of that council. And I, I think I would like to imagine that. Young adults who then share with other friends, like, hey, you should come to this place. It needs to be something that is of value to them and, you know, has really been something different than experiences that they might have had in the past. And I think that's something that we're trying to do with our Young Adult Access Center is have a space that is untraditional um, and is really, when I say true to it, like very much so we are centered in the youth voice being a part of what the program looks like and the decisions that we make. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm always struck by um, if you begin to give people the authority to make their own decisions, mm-hmm. oftentimes the group will set almost tighter or more rigid rules uh, you that are have. acceptable yeah. to them than, than if you do. Um, let's just talk for a minute about the naming of um, of, of Yak because I think it's just a great thing that they're having a, uh, a, a part in it. But uh, I'm, I'm just sort of uh, remembering an amusing story about my home country in England. Um, they 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 had a royal yacht or something I can't remember, and they and they said that they wanted the people of Britain to name the yacht. <laughs> I don't know if you know this no. story. So um, so there was a poll uh, and people sent in names and. Somebody suggested calling it Boaty McBoatface, mm. right? <laughs> and in this caught on, and the entire country voted oh, for the for the Royal Yacht Britannia to be called Boaty McBoatface, and they didn't follow through with it, which I think is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but they named the lifeboat Boaty McBoatface. But I would imagine that there'll yeah. be a more mature way of approaching this for your guys. <laughs> Absolutely, I think we're we're going to be strategic in kind of how we set that up. Um, I think in guiding them with what the expectations are. Oftentimes, 
when you do allow youth to make decisions and you know that there is a goal in mind at the end, you have to be strategic on how you instruct them to take whatever necessary steps. So I think before we even start the naming process, they should understand what our intentions and thoughts are about the space. And also that is something that they should take serious and that is, you know, not a, a laughing matter or anything like that. And then still trust that they will make the right decision, but guide them in the process as well. So it's something that they're a part of. Um, and it's, it's going to take a collaborative approach. It's going to be us and them doing it collectively, yeah. which I think a lot of our decision making should be. Yeah. Yeah. Are we um, are we looking at what outcomes um, are acceptable? I mean, I know we're working with Department of Mental Health and I, I guess I'd like to give a shout out to Department of Mental Absolutely. Health because um, they are um, they put a lot of trust in us um, rightly, <laughs> I believe. Um, but they they they're very the southeast area of DMH is very forward thinking. And mm-hmm. many times the new projects such as. The first episode, Psychosis, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard about, um, the um, the YAC, uh, and also hopefully the uh, PACT uh, youth program are all sort of nestled here uh, in in Bamsey. And I just want to thank um, DMH for, for putting their confidence in us. What are they looking for in terms of outcomes, or, or are we still sort of working at that, the details out with that? Um, still kind of working out those details, but... M- Really just the amount of young adults that we're able to engage. Um, with it being low barrier and there's no ne- necessarily paperwork involved, one thing that we are going to be working with any youth that are kind of longstanding is those transition plans, right? So that's something that we'll have some concrete evidence of some goals that young adults might have set out to have when they first started and then where they were at the end of that. Did they reach those goals and if not, why? Um, but I think really just looking at the level of engagement that we're able to have in the community, the level of workshops that we're able to deliver, and just program delivery. Um, like I said, with the program even being low barrier, the expectations are kind of low as well. And it's really just making sure that we are doing our due diligence to go out in the community and engage with the young adults where they are. That was Daryl Huggins, who is our director of our YAC program. Daryl, thank you so much for coming in. And maybe in six months or so, we can come back and uh, let us know how you're doing. Absolutely. Sounds good.